Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Hey, it's Unpaid Bill. Check out this QLS classic from November 2nd, 2016. We sit down with recording artist Kimbra. She talks about being from New Zealand, the rural wildlife of Silver Lake, California, and how she makes records. This episode originally aired on Pandora. Check it out. Kimbra Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we even get started, we got to know, how did you get such a black last name Yo. as Johnson. <laughs> Wait, your full name is Kimberly. Black name. Kimberly. Kimberly. Kimberly Johnson. Johnson. That's even. That's she, kind she's of from, like Nashville or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kimberly Johnson. Wow. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like you, you. You come from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I only realized that when I moved over here. I'm from New Zealand, obviously, and. Aren't you from Hamilton, New Zealand? How did you know that? Because I have a computer. (laughs) (laughs) How do I know anything? I thought you were just trying to bring it back to Hamilton. I'm just thinking, I thought, I wrote that, I was like, that's funny. That's funny. Hamilton's not the most well known place in New Zealand, but I'm. I can't say I've been there and/or know if I could locate it. Can I ask, uh, do you get tired of people? kind of lumping i feel like new zealand is the jersey to new york <laughs> or the baltimore to washington right, right, right. kind of i mean i know it's cool but yeah 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 but you know, people over here just tend to think like it's one big giant down <laughs> under australia <laughs> experience. Totally. Kangaroos, there's only <laughs> you know there's four million people in new zealand it's tiny you know so i understand and i spent five years in australia i moved there when i was 17 before i came to the states so i understand it's you know how long have you been in the states how long have you been here Ooh, um over three years now i did wow. la for nearly two years and then i'm about a year into living in new york wow what's been the yeah. biggest adjustment for you so far oh man um i'm so happy here i love walking and getting on the subway and taking like just simple things like that that change your experience of a city so much you know i was always in the back of ubers in la i didn't have a car (laughs) so i'm just loving i live like in the east village there's so much history there as well so many amazing people that have lived in that area so so wait you drive you didn't drive in la i know right you drive in new york city 
I don't drive in New York, no. Oh, okay. I have a full driver's license, but I just never got in the car over here. I mean, we drive on the other side of the road, so it would be challenging, you know. Wait, so you don't drive here? I had, no, I don't drive. Wait a minute. In America. You, the first time we met, I made you like a 400 song driving playlist. Yeah, yeah. But that was different. That was, that was. Wait, but. Yeah, you made me a sick playlist for the road trip. But I did that with a friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I was, was going to say, like, was... wait, did I make you a road, a <laughs> road the, trip playlist for no reason whatsoever? No I was just going to Brooklyn. For an Uber, right? I see. I see. Um, yeah, so I, I, well, I, I guess we would all like to know. Um, about your humble beginnings. Um, sure. One, you're, 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 you have a wise soul for someone that is four months younger than A Tribe Called Quest debut album. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Every time I see your birth year, yeah, right. I'm like, wow. I was a freshman in college when you were born. Um, but you, you, you seem to acquire a lot more knowledge than most people that I know that have a nine in the third year of their birth year, uh, as far as music's concerned. Thanks, man. Um, And without the, really the development of the internet being in full swing until 10 years later, like, what were your first formative years like that really has you Mm. curious about soul music of all things yeah you know stevie wonder was really big for me i I first started learning guitar when i was about 13 14 guitar was my first instrument that's what i first started writing on and learning a lot of those inversions and stuff on guitar was super inspiring you know for opening my brain harmonically and i was singing in a little choir at, at school they were doing a lot of beach boys covers you know and sinatra and this is like trippy stuff for a kid who's been you know I also had all my R&B stuff that I was listening to on the radio Destiny's Child and all the Timbaland era you know um, mm-hmm. but then I was learning about these other styles of music um, and I first got into a Boss 8 track that's how I started all my early recordings all the first albums so then the kind of pr- producer had started lighting up you know and getting excited about listening to records um, in the sense of dimension and it's just it's like the same as you man you know starting one artist and I mean, Prince, for example. And it takes you on such a journey and you just get super curious. I was a sponge when I was a kid. What keeps you from being so dismissive? Because even, I mean, for for whatever nerd degree I have of music, I mean, I definitely went through that period where, like, you know, when I was six or seven, Mm. Marvin Gaye comes on. I'm just thinking, like, that's my aunt's music. Yeah, right, right, right. That's something that I'm impressed by being young like what kept you from being dismissive that's right or cynical even you know because when you hit your teens you start to be like quite niche with what you like but i always had quite an openness which i see as a gift i guess i was very intrigued by metal music for example like you know bands from new jersey like the dillinger escape plan and mashuga you know for the grooves something about just just from a really open standpoint of what at the time like what what makes me feel so primally engaged to these rhythms? And then learning that a lot of it comes from Latin, you know? It's like you just become so fascinated with stuff and it didn't ever come across my mind like, oh, that's, that's cool and that's not cool and that's what my friends like and that's what they don't. It was just all sound, you know? And um, I don't think we retain that openness sometimes as we get older. We get a bit more, you know, um, into aesthetics and into taste and that's great. All of that's really cool. But as a kid, I, I really... I'm glad I had that openness. So you started songwriting. I know that you were songwriting by 
Well, you said your first instrument was well. Was I was writing just in you know um, singing into cassette tapes when I was like eight or nine, just little silly songs, but they had structure, you know, verses and choruses. I loved pop music as a formula for writing. Would that come from your family or like? They're doctor and nurses, so I don't know, man. It's it was a really a, a like who's your who was your who's that older who was the, the the older brother figure that's no like that no person one. that trickled well, in. I don't know. No, I don't know. I think it was just. I really talk about it almost more in a spiritual sense because it's like something needs to come out, you know, when you have a need to express. And at that time, I was asking questions. I was curious, you know, and this became a language. Melody was very intriguing. Lyrics were a way of like, yeah, just expression. And then learning an instrument, of course, everything changes because you can start to really um, get deeper with the art form. Was there ever a, a moment where you realized that you could write songs? Like, did you realize, like, all right, I might can pay a bill off of this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I'll tell one. you uh, something about New Zealand that's really special is we have this competition it's a high school band competition called the Rock Quest and it's not televised or anything it's not like American Idol or anything like that it's um, kids and bands you know so kids literally stay in high school to enter this competition it's super important for, for kids at school and so I entered this competition as a soloist just on guitar you know, playing songs from my bedroom that I thought were just for me. And I ended up being like the only girl in the finals and um, coming second in the whole country, which for New Zealand was a big deal, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, so at that point, it's probably the same for you. You have those moments, you go, okay, this is not only something that makes me really happy in my bedroom, but wow, people seem to be engaged with it. Um, I'm being acknowledged for it, and maybe I can develop, develop it more. And they were fully realized, fully arranged songs. Yeah, they were. They were. They were. I was about fourteen at the time when that happened, and then later got signed at like seventeen. So from those ages, I was developing songs in the studio, learning how to record on an eight-track. So the songs moved from being less guitar-based and more recording the entire arrangement on vocals, um, and that was really inspiring to me. You know, fleshing out the drum beat, just beatboxing, or just little silly ideas. But that became settled down. You know, a song I wrote when I was sixteen, which is probably the song that that broke me first here in America before the Gautier stuff. <laughs> wow. Is Val's your, your debut that album? That was the debut, yeah. So yeah. how do you... How does your debut album feel in contrast to mm. what you're working on now as far as... Yeah, well, I always feel like you're working all your life on <laughs> your first record. That's true, that's true. That's and three and a half years. artists wind up like separating themselves from their debut record mm. once they grow and... That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm 26 now. That record came out when I was 21. I started making it when I was about 18, you know, and the songs are those ones from your bedroom, you know, that you've lived with all your life. And like you said, now it's like it's third album time for me. So, you know, new city, new experiences, everything's changed. The second album, The Golden Echo, for me was kind of, that was a very... Um, experimental time for me you know moving to LA and so much yeah you're always drawing from where you're at but the first you're right there's something like listening to it now you you kind of look at it like it's a young child you had or someone in someone you do you know you 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 knew but it's it's, it's a strange connection that you have someone with your debut you okay <laughs> it was oh, coming so <laughs> yeah. you know, I was actually trying to let the whole entire segment go by without oh. even mentioning that too late yeah, so... Does, I mean, does it feel like a burden that, you know... It, do you feel as though that's in... Not in a burden, but it's sort of like an asterisk on your career <laughs> that mainly people 
might only know you for yeah, that. Yeah, that's and not understandable. I mean, yeah. The full spectrum of your. Well, how, right, how did that right. collaboration come to be? Like, oh, it's so organic. It's it's kind of because I was making vowels, and um, the the main producer I worked with on the album was called Francois Titas, and I knew his work because he produced the first Gautier record, and I was in love with it. You know, I was like, this is super prog pop I was so into it and I was like I want to work with the guy that, that made that album and so he introduced me and Wally so we just became friends and we didn't talk for a good year after we met and then he just called me up one day he's like I've got this song you know I'm looking for you know the other character in the song and can I come over this afternoon and show you it and see if you'd be down to sing it and just came over I had a little home bedroom studio and it's just so organic, the whole thing. The video is like never any notion that this was going to be what it was. Yeah, I was going to say, how long did it take you guys to shoot that as far as the That was, was the longest, most grueling video shoot I've ever done in my life. No wow. question. That was, I mean. Was it days or? It was, was it a full. all stop motion? Yeah, so we didn't move for, you know, it was like we took toilet breaks, but it was a good 14 hours in that position. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, with, you know, sort of strategic breaks and then back in and just being fed nuts while we, because it's six, you know, six or seven photographs and then a, a second of, you know, sorry, six or, se- six or seven seconds in a photograph. Then six or seven seconds, then a photograph. Then, you know what I mean? You see the process? Okay. Yeah. It was a well, big, that, it was a long day. That was amazing. Of course, you, you had no idea that, you know, that would lead to... Well, would you? I mean, the song is not like what you would hear on the radio, and it's kind of... Yet it is. Right. Yeah, well, you know more is. than me, man. I, I did not see that coming. Well, that's amazing. That's. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm here. It's cool. I'm glad you didn't see that coming. So why, why did you leave? I mean, what was the, yeah. what was the community uh, vibe like in... Australia. Okay, I'm and yes, I'm one of those people that will love it's okay. Australia it's okay, and yeah. New Zealand with yeah, each other. Yeah. Have you, you been you to you New Zealand? For that. Yeah, you don't have to stand You've for been that. Been a bunch of times. The first okay. time. No, no, Wait, no, you I, trying I, to start I, a tour for the right thing now, is, Bill? <laughs> I get it, but the thing that you need to understand is what's the difference? Vi- Ooh, there's a big difference. Tell you me know? the difference. Well, first off, we do have very different accents. Mine is all over the place these days. But if you go to New Zealand and then Australia, you'll hear very significant. Should we do the obvious one? Australians say fish and chips. New Zealanders say fish and chips. It's a lot more blunt. It's a lot more. The eye is very different. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's New Zealand 101. New Zealand versus Australia 101. I didn't know that. That's awesome. That's, yeah, there that's we go. the word. Those, that, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good one. It's a good starting place right. if you give a go back. Again, it's like... Fish and chips, mate. Jersey, New Yorkers and New Jerseyans always battle with their turf. And D.C. and Maryland battle with their turf. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Font, is, is there a South North Carolina turf <sighs> war going on? So, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, um, kind of, sort of. I mean, North Carolina... Well, first off, like when people speak of the Carolinas in North Carolina... We really just count ourselves. Like South Carolina is, is like its own separate thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so in North Carolina, our leading export other than basketball is racism. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, we we, we pride ourselves on that and um, on the finest top shelf yeah, racism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, only the finest. I mean, it has been aged in oak barrels for for, for centuries. Like whiskey. <laughs> oh man, come on. So so yeah, it is kind of like that. North Carolina, South Carolina don't really rock like that. In in North Carolina, Charlotte is like the capital. Well, no, I'm sorry. Charlotte is the biggest city. That's where all the banks are. So Charlotte is like kind of. They think they're progressive. They, 
they're well, they think they are, but they're really not. Cosmopolitan. Yeah, kind of cosmopolitan. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like they 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 kind of want to be Atlanta, so they're like in Atlanta mm. on the cusp. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. they they trying to get there. But it's like, you know, it's like Atlanta is the Bentley and Charlotte is like the 300 Chrysler. Ooh, <laughs> you know what I mean? it's, it's like, it looked like a Bentley until a real Bentley pull up. <laughs> and then so it's like, is, this, is this the same with, I mean, would, who would have the upper hand between New Zealand and Australia? Ooh. Culturally as you. The upper hand in terms of. Now, this is... What are we talking? I don't want you to throw any of your places under <laughs> the bus, but I'm just saying... Yeah. Oh, look, they, they, you know, like the landscape of the two countries are chalk and cheese, really. Yeah, I really have to go there and experience it because they've both got so much to offer and they've both been a huge part of my journey. You know, I lived in Melbourne for five years, made vows there, um, and New Zealand's my home. That's where I grew up. That's where I go home every Christmas to see my family. So they're both important places. And America's a really important place now for me. This New York's a home for me now. I've, you know, it's amazing here. Was it hard for you to leave there? Or did you have to come to America just so that your music career could... I think it's it's like... I like the idea of continuing to move forward and having your experiences inform your art, you know, and I'd made a record there. I felt like I'd taken a lot of experience from the place and I just signed to Warner Brothers in LA and it felt like, yeah, let's do it, you know, a new experience, a new record. And then same thing with this one's third album and I've gotten up and planted in a new city again. Something about that feels natural to me. I see. So uh, in LA, you mentioned, I know that you've, you've, cross paths with the what I call the animaniacs of soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like whenever I think of Thundercat or when I think of Lotus. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah. the way that they run that Tasmanian devil like swirl <laughs> of wind running in that Warner Brothers Tower. Like Yeah, that's true. That's how I I I think of, of that movement. I mean yeah. you can what get are you talking about? Yeah. No, no, I was just thinking of, you know, Thundercat worked a lot on the last album. Yeah, he became, yeah, it's, and again, man, all of these connections have been so organic. It's even how I kind of met you. It was just a mutual, like, you know. Well, I kind of stalked you on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I've been stalking you. I just didn't put it on public, you know. Oh, wow. But look, was you in the DM, though? I wasn't (laughs) in the DM. DM? I wasn't in the DM. I kept it out, though. Can we play that? (laughs) Can you queue up up your your guy? He's down in the DM. Get that out. No, I kept it out in the open. I I saw her. This is I first saw her on Leno. Yeah, that's right. And usually the music act is the very last segment before the show changes. And oh. we were this this is obviously in the early part of uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon because I was still running home to watch the show hmm. afterwards. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, after like a year, then that wore off. Then I stopped. But I'm just saying that when she was on, like I was amazed. And you know, then I stalked her on Twitter, and then well, I'm glad uh, you did. Man. And now she's here. Now we're here. Mm. Hey, sometimes the stalker wins. That is the lesson of, of today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't never let laws keep you from the woman you love. Never stop that. Come on. Views expressed by Font. Sometimes the stalker wins. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, write that down. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna write that. Down. Yo, I need. It's important. I just had a spit take. <laughs> Someone give me it. I'm gonna get the I gotta save my computer. <laughs> you just spit on your computer? I did. I spit on my computer. Oh, good job. Good job. Good job. No, I don't love you, Kimber. No, I mean, I. I <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wait a minute. 
Should have been a direct message. Should have gone direct. Should have taken that shit direct because okay. now, now, now it's real, real. Now it's in the world. <laughs> no, in all, in all seriousness, so organic relationships. Yeah, just friends. You know, people that you meet out or at a jam or, you know, same way we did. And all of a sudden, I was living at a farm in L.A. It was very weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had like oh, eight, wait, eight, eight sheep, man. Eight sheep Good in the God. backyard. Wait, yeah. Los Angeles, yeah, California? Yeah, there's this, this lady. <laughs> I found it on Craigslist, and she had a little urban city farm at the back of her house in Silver Lake. Three sheep oh, dogs, wait, 20 chickens. Wow. So Thundercat, Steve, Steve would come over, and wait. we would just hang out with the animals. And then he'd be like, play me what you're working on. And he'd be like, oh, I've got an idea. You know, press recording. That's just how it started. We're just lying, like outside with the animals, listening to tunes that I was working on. And that sounds what? horrible. Isn't that what? crazy? <laughs> Wait, that sounds horrible. I, I lived. Man. What? Wow. A rooster. A rooster I, I lived, woke me up. I lived in Silver Lake for you. I don't. There was a farm in Silver Lake. No one believes me. I don't. So I, like I, I moved out of Silver Lake because the skunk used to chase me home. <laughs> Oh, wow. wow. No, like if you weren't home at a certain hour, you know, wild yeah. animals just That's come right. out. That's right. Well, check this out. Coyotes. Do you say coyotes? Co- coyotes. Coyotes. Coyotes came and ate six of the chickens, so we had to get three sheepdogs. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, they were like tough, you know. They, oh, the sheepdogs were mm-hmm. They kept the everyone safe, yeah. Wow, you really did live on a farm. Yeah, so it just started out hanging out at the farm, and then all of a sudden he was tracking ideas, and then he was like the, the, the base you know, sound of the last record. So it's very cool when things happen like that. Very creative individual, that Thundercat. Oh, yeah. He's Extremely. one of a kind. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still stuck on farm animals. <laughs> Can we talk about the skunk chasing you? Because there's, there's more. There's way more to be said about that. That's great. I've got a mental image in my head of oh, running away from a skunk. Well, once, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, like, I would drive... I would drive... Up a hill. If you know California streets yeah. and like some of them are full of hills. Um, and it's really dark there. And, uh, you know, I drive and then you'd see, you know, their their eyes. There's like three or four of them maybe in front of my door. Um, and I didn't know what to do. So I thought, okay, this is a smart idea. Let me get back in the car. And I'm going to approach them at like 50 miles per hour. Like I was in a, a, a zone of like maybe you should be doing 20. So I figured if I do 50, I'll you know I'll, they'll run away. But what I didn't know was that in the face of fear, <laughs> they spray you. <laughs> kind of skunk 101. Yeah, I I knew that now. Right. And literally, um, I got my entire. Like, my bill for the car rental, they thought I had a lot. They're like, wait, we know you. You don't smoke weed. And I was like, this is skunks. And I explained, and they were like, yeah, you can't scare a skunk because they will spray you. Um, Yeah, my car and me. Never get sprayed by a skunk, let alone three of them. That's why it's good. God, did you have to bathe in tomato sauce? Is that a true? Is that a true? I didn't know about that. They like to get the the scent. Well, I tried to dismiss it, but then like, (laughs) thank God for like weed culture because everyone just thought like I had the good shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the plug. (laughs) But but you always smell like a bakery. Did it smell like? No, I was the opposite of a bakery. (laughs) I I smelled like I had that good. You smell like somebody that that was on its way to a bakery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. No, that, that was the worst. Like, that was uh, Mischief Night 
I don't know if people still celebrate that. It was like the night before Halloween. Uh, not to mention, I got egged. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Wow. The next night, I got egged in Silver Lake. Oh, and so wow. It was, it was a bad first week out there. Whew. Yeah. So that's my skunk story in Silver Lake. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurter to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so right about now, you're working on your, your third album. Mm-hmm. And what is your, your, your vision or your... How do you even yeah. grow past the level experiments that you've been... Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to do new things, you know. Um, 
the last record was like a maximalist album. I got to meet all these amazing people and kind of just invited them all down to the studio, you know? Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, which was super cool. But I'm really enjoying like trying more of a directness with some of the beats that I'm writing and things that I'm, you know, doing as demos. They're a lot more to the point than I've ever been, which is exciting and probably comes with like age and maturity. You kind of start to turn more things off and you don't have to <laughs> do as many um, flourishes to get emotion across, you know? I've had more experiences. Um, yeah, I'm inspired by a lot of records at the moment. I've been spending a lot of time in Ethiopia um, the oh, last wow. couple of years. Yeah. Just yeah I was going to say, your, your Instagram is kind of off the chain. Like, <laughs> you just <laughs> came back from Ethiopia. What was that like? Yeah, like, yeah. It's just crazy, that place. It's gotten so under my skin. Like, I'm hoping to go back every year if I can. It's just that powerful. Um, not only the music and the food and the culture, but the people have really touched me. Um, and that wasn't really doing gigs or anything. That was just more doing some kind of work, like more on a spirit tip, like spending time with the woman over there. A lot of them are HIV positive and kind of um, being a part of a team that does work over there. So that's been really cool. And I'm really into that balance, you know, of taking time completely off music. Have you ever done that, man? <laughs> 17 projects. <I'm> even <laughs> <laughs> but then it's kind of like I'm your food thing. I'm working now as you know? we talk. So. No, but it's, it is like, the you are amazing at that actually you know how you have your finger and all that a different you well, know I was projects you, that are varied you know well is this your version of you need to recharge before you start creating so you have to take yourself out of music too yeah i think that's one way of looking at it for sure and just fill up with different yeah ideas experiences and 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 being there's something very powerful about being completely anonymous in a place and not there to be a musician with all of your that skill set of that what that brings but just to be a human being you know and observe and um offer your heart and offer so that's been really powerful and i'm excited to now channel you know the rawness of some of those experiences into you know my next body of work do you have uh well any artist especially an artist on a major label um do you have any thoughts whatsoever about, you know, how far to the left you can lean as far as mm. experimentations are concerned and how yeah. oh. far to the right you should go to make sure that it's easily digestible? Like, oh, man, yeah, do you have those mm. ongoing wars with your current A&R right now? Of course. Like, I mean, of course. I think <clears throat> I asked that question to my other musician friends as well. It's like the answer is always the same. We're all trying to balance it. Um, I'm lucky at Warner Brothers. We talked about this when we did the Prince panel. Like Lenny Warnaker, like has been with me from day one. There, he's got amazing music. He's still there. He's still there. Yeah, he's my main. I've been with him from day one. He signed me to Warner Brothers. Oh my god! I did not know that Lenny Warnaker was still there. Oh yeah. Even when we did that Prince panel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I talked to him all the time. Prince. Yes. Yeah. 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 He signed a whole bunch. Like. Yeah, he signed, he produced James Taylor, didn't he? Yeah, he produced Randy Newman records. He did the Van Dyke Parks first record. I mean, this guy is an incredibly musical mind. He'll be, I'll be showing him songs. special stories? I mean, just think of how cool this is. Like, I'll be showing him, you know, you're expecting the A&R to tell you to make the chorus bigger, right? You know, it's a classic thing. But he'll be like, well, I think, you know, I think in the third bar you could make it a little more harmonically complex. I mean, what if you put a seventh in there? You know, just and he will wow. really talk to me in that sense of like, you know, it just needs a different contrast at that point. And this to me is very inspiring, you know, to be able to have nah, those kinds of conversations. Yeah, A&R guy can talk music in that way. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's yeah. Amazing. Well, being that would lucky. Throw me off. <laughs> I wouldn't trust that situation. Uh, I mean, for a writer credit. But at no, the same time, I've had my battles, of course, you know, and and I continue to, and that's kind of I think. 
the tension that kind of needs to be there as well. In, this, in a sense, it, it pushes me to explore both sides. And I have a great love of pop music, but I feel very strongly that what I have to offer as an artist is a unique perspective on that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think if you look at it the right way, it can be fun. <laughs> Wow. Maybe, but then it's awful sometimes. <laughs> you know, it is. I mean, it is really hard sometimes, of course, if you're really going for a vision, and um, and, and and people are there to essentially water that down. You know. So how do you deal with that? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of heated conversations, and you have to fight hard. You do, and I think we, you know, we're just talking about Prince, and it's been very um, inspiring for me to go back into him as an artist and really be so. Um, reminded of how he never backed down on things, you know, and, and fought hard, but also was super smart and always listened. That's what Lenny always says, man. He's like, Prince would, you know, he would never, he would never not be listening to you. He would always be taking it in, you know, and mm -hmm. he would always go away. He'd hang up when he'd be like, I'm not changing the record, you know, I'm not, you know, and they, they thought they didn't have an urban song for on Diamonds and Pearls. And he's like, I'm not, you, you work it out, you know. But then that night, he went back to the studio and he, he may get off, you know? Right. Wow. He That's just came right. in with it the next day and put it on the desk. That's right. You, when we first spoke about Prince, you told me <laughs> your favorite record was Diamonds and Pearls. Mm. Which oh, threw I have me so off. many, though. For You is probably one of my favorites, though, right wow. up there with it. <laughs> right. that was so the you're really favorite. big on vocal arrangements and. Mm. and That's what I'm saying. That's when I got the A track, started making, you know, arrangements with only voice. So, how. Okay, so. You've probably mastered that. I know a lot of people that have used that device, uh, the Atrex machine. And the loop pedals, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're probably the one person that I know that will find ways to push it into, okay. I don't, I don't want to say like it's the C word. I, I don't want to say commercial. Mm. But uh, to at least make it more accessible. Because okay. I know that yeah. a lot of uh, artists uh, that use that are far on the left mm. as far as experimenting is concerned. But, right. Um, what what drew you to that as your weapon of choice? Yeah. And Well, I think it all comes from feeling limitation. So I was doing gigs with just guitar when I first started playing in New Zealand at little bars. My dad would take me, you know, I was like 16, and so I didn't, couldn't get in. And then um, I felt I needed to express more color, you know, and get more across in the performances. So when I learned this little boss, it was, you know, the boss loop pedals, the classic ones. I never really, really, really read the manual, but just kind of... All right, let me break it down just in case people don't know. Okay, so this device is... You just it, it enables it you to foot. sing with yourself. It, yeah. You can loop yourself. Over, overdub yourself. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah, you can you can put your instrument down altogether and just form a bed. I think it was created for guitars first, and then people... Yeah started yeah. to sing in, in, into the device. But. Yeah, that's right. I never used it with guitar, though. I only used it with vocals, and then eventually found that, um, we, you know, my voice has a very different texture when it's layered and, you know, can sound like a different instrument. So I started putting down the guitar and becoming more fascinated with that as, a, as an instrument in of itself. You so know? do you keep every performance fresh as in, do you have a go-to way for using those effects or... Well, here's a funny story for you. Very. When you saw Jay Leno, okay, that was, <laughs> I still refused to play to a click track at that point, okay? So usually when you're doing live television, you probably want to get the loop like synced so it doesn't completely fall out of time on the live right. television, but I was very stubborn. And we had to do it like three times, you know, because I was so nervous because my finger was shaking so much, three you times? know? <laughs> yeah, 
because oh, no. I would I do I change it every time, you know. I, okay. I I start up the intro just kind of with a a new loop each time to keep it fresh because I don't want it to get too uh, Steel. yeah rehearsed, you know, too rehearsed or feeling like okay, here we go. She does this part, she does that part. I really thrived on the danger aspect. But of course, live television is different, you know, and you've got a whole right. camera crew. And so from that point onward, I decided to start, you know, involving the Ableton Live in the set. And we have aspects now that are a little more, um, yeah, you know, um, locked in. But there's something to me that's very important with every live show that there's room for collapse, you know, or at least the chance of collapse. But you do know what I'm talking about because yeah. living on the edge of that tension is what's so. Has it ever broken down on you in concert? Of course. I mean, you know, and again, it's a chance for a very human moment, you know. But you can play it off. Yeah, yeah, you know, we always can back it up if things fall out and you ask the audience, can we do it again? And it's cool. I think always have to keep that there somehow. Okay, so I want to know basic things about your your life, um, musically related. What was was your first concert? It was a band called Silverchair. Uh, oh, oh wow. Damn. Yeah. wow! Yeah, you guys know that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, they, was yeah. big out here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not. Boys, well, check it out. They they're like thirty now, right? That's right. That's right. No, they were fourteen. <laughs> they were twelve. They were fourteen. They were a grunge rock band from Australia. Um, but they were from Australia. You right. probably don't know this about Silverchair though. After they had their big blow up with the grunge band, they started making some very wild pop music. And Van Dyke Parks himself says that. He puts Daniel Johns on the same level as Brian Wilson as a songwriter. Yes, he does. Now, check this out. The song we just played, Daniel Johns wrote that with me. We did that together on the piano. He plays the piano on the song on the record. Daniel Johns from Silverchair. Wow. Wow. Really? Wow. Who'd have thought? He, you got to get yeah, on the you know, later this, records. This actually reminds me of, of when I found out that dude from Spin Doctors worked with Bilal on his demo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. was kind of wild. That's, that's crazy. And Bilal it's, is on the last album, yeah, too. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, it took Bilal like 10 minutes to really make me comprehend. <laughs> I was like, wait, who produces? this? no, 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 from Spin Doctors. I was like, no, 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 no. Okay. Wow. Who produced this? No, 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 Spin Doctors. And I was like, nah, nah, okay, okay. Who produced it? <laughs> I refuse to believe it. That's amazing. Um, so, okay, this is the second time that we've mentioned uh, Van Dyke Parks. Like, how did your paths even cross? Because, I mean, yeah, he's the god. Oh, he is just, he's my fairy godfather. <laughs> he is the sweetest, he really is like this ethereal, magical person in my life. Um, so Lenny, I mean, Lenny is very close with Van Dyke and I had said what a huge fan I was of the Silverchair record called Diorama and Van Dyke arranged the strings for the whole album. Can you imagine this band that had become a huge, you know, success as a grunge, you know, garage rock band. And then they make a record that I swear these songs modulate like 10 times within each, you know, five minutes and he gets Van Dyke to arrange all the strings on her, you know, he learns piano for the album. I just thought it was incredible. Okay, what's the, now, now this is the educational portion of, of, of our radio show. Diorama. Diorama. I'm writing it down right now. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I love Van <laughs> This is exactly why I, I wanted this show, so yeah. I could learn yeah. and, and nerd out. So you're saying that Diorama was their, their left turn, their mm, departure album? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know, it, it didn't do so well in terms of a commercially, you know. But um, I, I have a theory. Now, yeah. as a person that really doesn't know much about Silverchair, yeah. what was the album that came out before? Oh, that would have been Neon Ballroom. Was had that, that their peak? Or? Yeah, I mean, it was soon after. 
The big one was, I don't know what the big one was in America. Frog Stomp yeah, or, oh, wow. They were 14. Yeah. Wow. It was, was what, like or, like, or something like that? Yeah, I was in high school. <laughs> or maybe 16 or something. I don't know. But. So they were massively large and, you know, yeah. these cute kids mm-hmm. playing adult music. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a theory about uh, what they call departure records, mm. which, you know, I mean... You'll see it as like, oh, it's spiritual maturity and growing into the thing. And I guess, and it's not coming from a cynical place, but uh, for every departure album that there is, there's always the mountain or the shadow or the eclipse of an album or an image that they can't escape. Mm, Wow. And they will do anything, sometimes consciously and, and other times subconsciously like mm, uh in the case of the beastie boys paul's boutique making paul's boutique uh they wanted to wash away the bratty frat boy mm-hmm. image that fight for your right was um in the case of there's a ride going on by sly um mm-hmm. you know having just conquered uh woodstock in 1969 and you know had four top 10 hits and finally like the dream was realized after like three album attempts to make them Sly and the Family Stone yeah. such a you know a household name and then he kind of turns his back on everything I mean making an innovative f- funk record That's while doing weird. it but yeah, still yeah, yeah. you know Prince definitely uh, I'm reading this uh, this manuscript this book right now of him actually planning Purple Rain, and then also planning his exit strategy. Wow. With Around the World a Day. Making Around wow. the World a Day, even before the Purple Rain tour. And it's just... He soared. He had a vision. It was the eclipse. You he call knew it that? he was going to get trapped into... Wow. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, wow. So, with that said, would you consider phonology to be the roots the part mm. record? You know what? I'm... I will probably say that now... Maybe I'll take 25% credit of it being self sabotage <laughs> as in not wanting to follow things fall apart. But if I'm really, truly honest. Um, tipping point? No, 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 no. I was thinking tipping point. No, 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 no. Because that really, really felt like the departure for, for me. No, that, that was us being normal. That was us trying to be like <laughs> yeah. ground zero normal, which I know with, my, my point is that. I think with phrenology, with what was happening with Neil Soul, like I shot a Neil Soul Coke commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Neil yeah. Soul Coke. Oh, like ser- half the calories of regular. Like only one of those commercials came out, <laughs> but it was like we did a five-part commercial. It was like me, Amel, Angie Stone, Music Soul Child. Like we were all playing like. You know, categories like you know, wow. like we did this. Wow, I it never seen came this. out. It never came out. Oh. Only like one of them came out. It was like Aries, all the Neil oh, Soul. Wow. Aries. Wow. wow, Neil Soul game night with Coke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was like that. Like <laughs> basically, like real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it. It there was a point where I felt like maybe. Okay, because because of us not knowing that we were going to win the Grammy, and then Tariq wanted to shoot a movie, and I wanted to to see Voodoo through through the tour. Like we took two thousand off. 
mm-hmm. which should have been the cash in year. Mm-hmm. You know, and instead we were like, okay, we'll come back January 2001 and do it all over again. And then it was just like, maybe we felt like our territorial pissing marks were, were getting violated. So it's sort of like, okay, well, we're going to show y'all, we're going to do everything but Neo Soul. But then everyone had that idea because, you know, mm. I mean, Stankonia and definitely yeah. Speaker Box had that, mm. that we're going to turn our back mm. on this thing. Like everybody was going contrary, including D'Angelo. Like, yeah. and, you know, when yeah. we started Black Messiah, like it was going to be way more radical, way more. Wow. wow. It, you know, in his mind, he wanted to do like Fishbones, give a, a monkey a brain. A give I, I can't pronounce mm-hmm. that. It's a really, really long title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, so I guess, I don't know. I mean, but it, it still worked for us. That's the thing, though. It still worked. So I feel like the, the tipping point cool. wasn't our departure record, but it was just like, it was the album that I had the least. And I was just like, okay, what do I do? I'll, I'll take instructions. Sometimes I look at making albums like an itch you need to scratch, you know? And when you said something about, like, the eclipse or the vision that something that's lingering in the subconscious that you need to kind of grab for after you've had a moment with a record or... A, I don't know. There's, there's, there's something in the back of your mind that you're like, I need to get at this. I need to unveil this. Something that's um, there. And w- whether that be a highly, you know, six... You don't know so do you well, whether that's going to resonate. Have, like, does, do you listen to someone and that gets you amped? Like last week, Common played me like five songs mm. from his new record. Wow. And I was feeling some sort of, and I'm working on this record, so wow. I'm, I'm feeling some sort of way like, <laughs> yo, I got to come with it. Like, I really got to come with it. Like, right. So I'll say the first time in 10 years, I felt like, Whoop. you know, I mean, when Dilla died, then I was just like, Ugh, I don't want to do music no more. And only like one record a year, that sort of thing. So maybe between like 2006 and 2016, I had a this dark law of not really wanting to put my heart into right. the record process. Mm-hmm. Like just put all that passion in one record and one record. Now I'm just like, I got to come with it. So like, is there an artist that you hear that gets your juices flowing? And I don't mean like mm. a... I could do that. I don't mean that way, but I mean like... Oh, man, there are just... There's so many. I will say that, as we were talking about New Zealand before, there's some very special things that come out of New Zealand, and there's two brothers that I listen a lot to. Well, you know Unknown Mortal Orchestra, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Ruben Nielsen, who I've known for years because he had a punk band when I was a kid. And I used to go to his shows and sneak in underage and be front row. They were called the Mint Chicks. They were so raw. They were great. And the they singer of the band, huh? They were punk. Yeah, super post-punk, kind of super screamy, but re- but you know, great kind of melodic guitar lines, very angular rhythms. It was it was fantastic. And um, the lead singer of that band was Cody Nielsen, which is Ruben's brother. Now uh, he has his own side projects, his own records. Silicon, Silicon. You oh, know what? That <gasps> album is so good. I can't stop God listening emotion. to it. And so like good. they just keep reinventing themselves. You know, I've seen not everyone knows their stories, but. They just keep starting these projects. And to me, that's really inspiring. And when you say, like, I've got to come with it or kind of keep on that um, that new energy, I don't know. It's, it's cool. It inspires me. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. 
And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What was the first record you ever purchased? Wow. You know what? One of the very first albums I ever bought with my own money was Frank by Amy Winehouse. Oh, wow. And we've talked about this before. And I told you what an important artist she was for me for those reasons. I listened to lots of other albums before then, but there was something very special about picking that up. I didn't know anything about her. I was like, she looks sick on the front cover. Wait, you just did it based on the album cover? Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything. You didn't hear anything? I listened to it in the record store, but I picked it up because, you know, you know, when you, I, I love that. I missed that. Putting the CD on and I um, listened to it and I thought this sounds great because she, she was a guitarist too and she was playing these jazz inversions that I was learning, but she had beats and that's what I always felt was, you know, I wanted to explore. I want to get tougher with my sound. I want to be a safe songwriter, you know, just keep it all pretty and I wanted it to have, you know, like some balls and she was Man, she just took me to school, you know, and all of these singers. And, and it's so funny, man, how the world connects people. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. Uh, so I'm just like, how do you know about beats, though? I mean, like the average. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying uh, I'm trying not to be cultural elitist or sexist or any of these things. But 
normally there is an older figure trickle down person. Like yeah. I'm the youngest people of of people in my brood, so yeah. this was handed down. I mean, yeah. what about you guys? Like, were you? I had an older sister who was really into music. Um, she's the one that got me into hip hop. She's the one that pretty much put me in. Yeah, triple down. Prince. Yeah, yeah. Where did you fall, I, William? I was, <laughs> I was into jazz, and I had really great teachers in high school. And then I went to Africa, and when I was in college, and that sort of wow. blew my mind a lot. I love how the white people. I was about to say, I'm like, <laughs> I was say, in Africa. Hey, what are we hey, <laughs> you ever been to Africa? <laughs> nah, so I'm, probably, I'm the only one in this room that's not that hasn't been. I mean, I've been to South Africa, but that's, that doesn't count. You know, yeah. That's oh, South that's Africa. not real Africa. Apparently not. Yeah, I mean, from what from you talk to people from the continent, they say uh, that that's like the most really? westernized uh, uh, country. I love when Fonte's PC, man. It's the most Western. You're thinking really hard right now. So I didn't go to rural Africa yet. I'm just saying. No, but it does bring to mind, actually, when we're talking about being young and what was inspiring. I loved musical theater. And I was, this makes me sound like, I was a musical theater kid. But I, you know, I was really drawn to the. Well, there's such a connotation with that. Fonte, your head's down. Oh, no, I'm just listening. I'm just listening. Oh, you weren't in musical theater? Hell no. <laughs> I, I, Wait, I, why not be hell no? That's no, what I'm I just talking wanted. about. That's what I mean. No, it, it wasn't. I, Wait, for me, you say hell like H-E-L. No, man. It just, it because the thing for me, man, like, thing, man. I tried. I tried. I can't even know now. Okay, so we have three theater kids in here. Four. I did a couple plays. In Four. School. I knew you it. Play. Yo, you know what? Ah. I did, matter of fact, I did. Bro, I I did hair in high school. <laughs> I did hair. I, I did hair. I say, but I, I didn't like musicals, but I was in the musical. I forgot about that. I did hair. I, mean, in high school. I, I did like school Christmas plays and stuff like. Yeah, that. I was about to say everyone in this room needs to stop lying. I know y'all was involved with music. Yeah, I did hair. I was, I was Black Santa actually. Really? Yeah. Was it just, did you have the beard back then? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like 13 at the time. But I, I was I was black Santa in a in a really white school in Indiana. So that was, in Indiana. Wow. Oh, of all the places. Hey, right. well, I was right. right. They was right. hanging in Indiana. Yeah, like I was. That's probably. Wait, did you think about the hazy shade of criminal <laughs> outcome? <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> criminal. <laughs> okay, wait. We're getting off the chain, yeah, okay. off the roof. No. Okay. Well, well, yeah. That it never. never uh, yeah. So I think some of the melodic interest might have come from a love of that. But when you're talking about beats, I know what you mean. I'm trying to think. I loved Jurassic 5 when I was in high school. I listened to them a lot. You know, there were certain acts that got me thinking, mm, why does this make my body move like this? And I, you see, I started to write vocal lines that were percussive. You know, I wanted to find the bits between to sing in. So maybe that's... What I'm now seeing the Jurassic 5 What effect. happened to Jurassic 5? Wait, I'm, I'm going to tell you something funny. I love them too. They were great. So uh, imagine it being like 1999... 9899 right and so okay i'm i'm in my agent's office and we got an offer and okay i'm i don't mean this no sort of way just understand the logistics of of the situation she's saying that okay you guys are going to open for Jurassic 5 and Black Eyed Peas and we started laughing. We was like, wait, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, you guys are going to open. I was like, open? You don't open for the... Now, it was 99. This is before mm-hmm. Fergie came to please. And Jurassic 5 was like the quintessential underground group. Groups that were normally open for the roots. Right, right. Who at this time were in their platinum powers or whatever. But the th- no, the thing was, is that hip-hop so rarely came down under to Australia and to New Zealand. That whoever... Just went over there. You was and, the man. And did five days. If you did Big Day Out, the the big festival yeah, over there. Yeah, represent. Then suddenly you became 
So th- there was like an inside joke that like, yo, Jurassic Five can play stadiums in Australia. They probably like, get they, the fuck out of they here. They probably could. <laughs> it's like, wait, 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 Black Eyed Peas have an audience of 10,000 in Australia. You're like, get out. Ben Harper can play stadiums. Like, so all wow. the acts that, I mean, it was the, it was the yeah. trip that the Roots used to play. Like, we would go to places that no one else would go and then conquer. So I always wondered, Ooh. I was going to ask, what was the Jurassic 5 effect on, they were like the Beatles yeah. over there. Because yeah. no one else would go over there. That's right. Well, New Zealand's interesting. We're talking about the differences, but R&B and soul is very important in New Zealand. More important, I'd say, and it's funny because, of course, you have Hiatus Coyote and these incredible R&B acts coming out of Australia, but it's more of a rock thing, you know, with a lot of the music when you're growing up. New Zealand, we, the Māori people are very like, amazing rhythmic music, very melodic, very soulful, you know. They play in churches, they have the mud eyes. So hip-hop's very big in New Zealand. Hip-hop's really big and soul artists. And, yeah, I, I remember these, these head... These artists were headlining huge venues, you know. Yeah. They were big. And, you know, when you live so far away, I mean, from New York, it probably takes me 22 hours to get home or something God. insane, you know. You, you're you so curious about music from other parts of the world. It becomes a, I don't know, it's, it becomes a little obsession, you know. I found something on, I was around at the start of blogs and everything, obviously, and your friend starts telling you about this thing, you know, and then you take a little rabbit hole with that and you're so far from it that it's so exotic and exciting. So have you coming back uh, to Australia? I mean, after your Grammy success or whatever, like was it the like have you had a homecoming welcome as far as to New like, Zealand, right? Yes, to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal for a country so small when artists get recognized in in America. Same for Australia, but especially for New Zealand because, yeah, like I said, there's only four million people there, you know? Wow. So it's, uh, it is a real trip when we are able to um, connect and on a sort of global level. So, are you able yeah. to go home and still like be regular? Can you go to the grocery store? Or, in Hamilton? Yeah. 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 It's, it's different. Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, I lay pretty low. Like, I'm all about getting back to nature when I'm there. You know, Back get to, to the, the ocean. And <laughs> I didn't have a farm in New Zealand. I didn't grow up on a farm. I only had a farm in LA. Only LA. Right. I'll still never understand that. <laughs> Steve. Steve hasn't said shit all night. I know. He just moved. Okay, wait, 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 hang on. What are your uh, what are your plans for the future? Ooh. That old question. Mm, I sound like Barry White. Yeah. So yeah. what are your plans? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like I said, I'm writing. I'm writing more than I've ever written, which is exciting. Um, and I'm excited to start sharing some of that. So putting new music out, maybe even before the album. And then I start the album. Yeah, pretty soon, man. I reckon next month I'm going to start getting into production. Um, writing. More writing, New York. I'm doing a lot of improvised collaborations. The stuff you came to, the Space Jam and this new improvisation collective called Exotech. Tell us um, about Exotech. Yeah, man. It's kind of the name kind of came from an interest in like exotica music and kind of Brazilian rhythms and also technology, you know, using gadgets and crazy loopers and, and um, industrial sounds, you know? It's like 14 people in the core ensemble. <laughs> we, we How do you perform. coach them? It's How do you insane. keep people from overplaying? Well, this is the fascinating thing about it is when everyone's tuned in and you're kind of aware of how many people are on stage, of course, it's um, 
it's very easy for it to become lasagna, you know, <laughs> it's just layers and layers. But some very special things that happen happen when you're conscious of that so everyone is listening intent intently to each other so everybody just plays something and then you take the tapes afterwards and then yeah that's right and then we evolve and develop the ideas we perform on the rounds everyone in the audience is quite intimately involved there's a bit of conducting a bit of head nods a bit of hand signals for things but essentially it's just sort of just going into the unknown you know and it's very liberating it's very liberating for someone who spends a lot of time in studio like I do and you know being very intentional about my recordings and production this is a time for me to just get back in that space of pure expression improvisation it's great that's a good thing oh boy how was your day today (laughs) <laughs> no, those are those are questions. No, I'm talking to you. Give a look at like, or he ain't talking to you. Actually, bent backwards like it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. My day was good. My day was good. Like it was bullets from uh, the Matrix. No, no. I just there's a lot of people in this room. Um, yeah. So with that collective Exotech, which is Sophia Bruce, who you just heard. Right. Um, this is our kind of joint little improvisation group, and we're starting a. Red Bull in Artist Residency, where we're developing these songs, um, yeah, for kind of, to be kind of releasable, or at least just kind of developing them from the improvised context, which has always been interesting to me, because live music is such a particular thing. The process from taking live jams, David Byrne's very interesting with this, of course, you mm-hmm. know, because so many of the Talking Heads records were kind of developed in, from live, well, so many records are. Yeah, jams. Gosh, of course. A lot of people. Yeah, but um, I've just been watching his documentary, The Stop Making Sense one. And that's kind of what we're exploring for this in-artist residency at Red Bull. And I've been spending a lot of time preparing lyrics for this and kind of getting in a zone of, yeah, taking them from the stage to the studio. See, I don't know if you know this by design or if you're just doing this organically. But, you know, I always felt, you know, the idea of community, which is something that record labels kind of discourage. Yeah. They'd rather deal with an artist one-on-one and not deal with groups Mm. or uh, multiple families of groups and Mm. that sort of thing because they're harder to control. Of course. Yeah, I always felt that uh, the best music movements and the most successful music comes from uh, crews and and people. Uh, uh, If you look at Motown, you know, yeah, they were a crew. And Native yourself, tongues. man. Native tongues, yeah, with yourself. De La Tribe, yeah. and no, you know, of course, of course. Prince Powerful. grew his own crops. Yeah. So I mean, P-Funk, is that yeah, P Funk, they did it too. They yeah, did, yeah. So is I mean, is that your is that your end game to gather a community of people and and cultivate them and create this music and I encourage it wherever I can. You know, I think I've been very blessed to kind of mag- magnetize the right people wherever I move and by I mean the right like just the open people that are down to jam and, and it always ends up being something that's a sound you know like something that comes to inform the music and I work alone you know I'm not a band it's it's um I make these songs in my bedroom and then I bring in people when I hit walls you know and so even the band that you heard when we played Leno like they've become very close collaborators of mine now because I kind of hit these moments where I reach the limitations of my own skills, you know? And at that point, I really like to play on that as much as possible. Be like, who can I draw from? Who I can... Um, it's like being a painter, you know? And you have this palette all around you all the time. And I'm inspired by the same people you said that weren't afraid to be like, all right, you know? Where does this need to go? Who have I got 
that I know can help me take this even further. Uh, but you also seem very nomadish or gypsy ish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just constantly moving. Yeah. And so, how do you like? When will you will you leave New York once all yeah. of your resources seasons, are dried? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, seasons. You know, the farm time was kind of there was a period where I was very isolated there, and I didn't leave. I didn't leave much. You know, I just stayed inside and did. That's right. <laughs> That's 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 right. Thank you, Steve. Sugar Steve, sound effects, Steve. Well, because the kitchen was outside as well, so I cooked like outside. But then it was just the bedroom and the bed inside. So it was very, it was strange. No wonder you are animals. Yeah, outside. it was wow. weird. But then there would be these seasons where I did like Space Jam. I started Space Jam in L.A. Okay, it was every Sunday night. I put it on Twitter. You were allowed and to call before. it Space Jam. I called it Space Jam. I thought it was fun. Like McDowell's, like, <laughs> right. nobody shamed you. Nobody no, Warner Brothers is like, uh, wait a minute, child. I don't like, think I, I didn't tell Warner Brothers. You know, I just wanted to do this for fun. It was, I had a, I was doing a tour with Janelle Monáe in Australia and New Zealand, and it got canceled because she got very sick. And mm-hmm. um, I was came back to America, and I was just restless, you know. We were just had, about to do a tour. and So I thought, well... I'm here. Let's do something. And you know, oh, Thundercat did it most weeks. Miguel came down and jammed with me. This is like these are big guys that you know don't have to do that, but they would just um, get up and just go into the unknown with me. It was very powerful. And you were doing it in New York for a while. Like, yeah, are yeah. You want to bring right. it, bring it back? I'm kind of focused on the Exotech thing for a bit now, but I like the idea of bringing Space Jam back in cities and on the road, if we're all feeling up for it, going to a little venue nearby and in the spirit of the people we mentioned, continuing that conversation. Um, so there's seasons of being very um, engaged with community and seasons where I really withdraw. Now, should you leave New York, uh, do you have any other fantasy destinations mm. that you would, you know, mm. would you go to Europe next, see I'm, what's up in... Well, London. check this out. No, I just got back from London. I was there like a couple of weeks ago. But Japan, I've never been to Japan. Wow. Never. Wait, even as a professional artist? Never. Wait, you have a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> two. Now, Japan has gotten two. I've oh, never. Oh. I've she never. shot me down like, <laughs> yeah. Beatrice and Kill Bill, like, <laughs> I've never been two, to Japan. motherfucker. <laughs> I've never been to Japan. Oh, man. Now, You're, Japan has been kind of tough lately. I think, like, over for the past couple of years... They, Wait, um, why, why, why is other Bill laughing at the punchline before? Because it was just like, here comes some old man wisdom about Japan. Here I go. Get the <laughs> oh, fuck, no, man, get the Japan, fuck no, out of my way. Not no, old man Japan. It's been a bit of No, it's been real. No, it's been because like, they had the earthquake. The earthquake it was the tsunami. They had like a natural disaster. Oh, and then you know it was that. And that like, like fucked shit up for real over there. Because we were trying to get over there for a minute. back in, like, it was like You had to go to? I've been once in 2004. It was not a really good experience with the time. No, nah, I, I, I didn't like it. What? No, nah, I didn't like There's it. There's a story was, there. What? Oh, man, it's always a story, bro. <laughs> so, man, so I went to Japan. I've never met it was, an African-American male, <laughs> the PC title, right, 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 right. that didn't <laughs> love we Japan. No, nah, I we went, go. man. Like, no, nah, I went. We went. Okay, we went over there. And we went over there. We was over there under some under some, under some false pretenses, for one. And little brother too. This is little brother. Yeah, this is LB. This is two thousand four. Wow. So we went over there. We went over there, man. And I remember the first night we got out there, we was just out walking around, and we was trying to go to a strip club. Yes. And so and so I mean, I, and forever, I'm not really the strip club dude like that because strip clubs are about pageantry, and I think just like a lot of 
you know, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's a lot of that. And I'm not really into that. I'm not into the seeing the tricks and all that stuff. I just. You're from I, North Carolina. I know, but see, but that's another story because it was a strip club we had called 14K. But it, you, I'm sure you know, it was legendary. But yes. I'm not going to get into that right now because okay. that's not that's what we're going to talk about. Oh, we're raising families. Man, we, yeah, I, man, I love listen, you, honey. That was Go before ahead. I was became Washington the Blood of Jesus. So now, <laughs> so listen, so, so now, Doc. So Japan, we was trying to go to the joint, and so we walk up to the door, and as soon as we get to the door, little dude comes out. No, 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 Japanese only. Like, Ooh. wouldn't even let us in. We was like, oh, word. Oh. So like that right there was just kind of. I was like, fuck this fucking place. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean, oh, the first day. Dude, I swear to God, first, first day, first day. So we we left, and I think we ended up eating um like McDonald's for the rest of the fucking day. And then uh, first time we were there, we did get some Kobe beef, though. We went to Kobe, and we had some Kobe beef. And, like, I saw one black guy in uh, in the train hugging <laughs> each other. Um, we were just so happy. I, I've never been so happy to see another black man in my life. You serious? Um, I'm dead ass, man. I ain't making none of this shit up. But, uh, yeah, no, nah, we hugged each other. It was, it was, it was, a, it, it was a very a Sankofa moment. The crowds are, are very different. So yeah, they, they're I've not really, that. like, a big, like, Making a lot of noise, they just mm, really watch you. Very they polite, just, yeah, very polite. Very polite. But after the show, I mean, they're really they love then you. And they, they go they give crazy. It up. Yes. But um, but now nah, I haven't been since '04, and I I'm, I'm really not in a rush back to go. But I hope you go, and I, I'm sure you'll kill it. I'm actually kind of weirded out by Yo, the Fonte, idea. man. I gotta make this right, man. <laughs> yeah, you do. Cause no, Amir, he's wow. You I might you have, have some to, like of. Um, Tokyo, despite the fact, no, despite the fact that <laughs> let's go, their largest shoe size is size ten, and you know their jean size is thirty four. I mean, I Tokyo is my third favorite place on earth. Wow, I, wow. What's You're the first two? Uh, if I had to leave the tri-state area to live somewhere else, number one is Portland, Oregon. What? Mm-hmm. Number two is Austin, Texas. Okay. Number Austin. three is Tokyo. Mm. Number four is the Bay Area. Well, hopefully I can afford it. How about to say? <laughs> if I can afford it, <laughs> I can't afford it on my salary. Uh, number, hey, if you can't afford it, then num- we in the goddamn project. Number yeah. five. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a carpool <laughs> yeah, We're like camping out in here. <laughs> number number five is, is uh, 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 London. But uh, Wow. The fact that you've actually thought about that, though, that's very... That you've plotted it out yeah. that much. I, I base... Okay, Portland has uh, probably some of the... Probably the best used record store shopping. The best quality yeah, records right. for cheap. Like, when they see me, they won't charge me $500 for a Galt McDermott record. Ah, like, wow. if yeah, right. I walk into a Connecticut spot, then suddenly, you're like, oh, this is $9,000. Yeah, yeah. Um... Like, they don't know the true value of, like, mm. that stuff I really love. Um, there's more strip clubs per capita in Portland. <laughs> and I've never been to one. Every time I go, I'm in and out. Nike headquarters. Yeah, been there. Been there. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, if you have good record shopping, great strip clubs, and... <laughs> That's it. Don't take much. And the food capital, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the food truck capital of the United States to me is Portland. Oregon. Yeah, that's true. Unknown Mold Orchestra in Portland now. I mean, he's from New Zealand, but he works out of Portland now. Smart man. Smart man. Smart man. Well, Kimbra, I really, truly uh, appreciate you for taking your time out of your busy schedule. (laughs) Schedule. Um, It's not as busy as yours. Well, no. You know, 
it's... You are insane, though. No, we're not going to We're not going to... Okay, but... Yeah, Amir... Amir I is, think we should start. Go ahead, yeah. Go in. Go, ahead. go <laughs> in. Go in. Go in. Tell them. How many tell projects do you have going on I right now? I already took... Look, I took a four-day vacation last week. Where did you go? Um, I just... I did nothing in Los Angeles for four days. You okay. didn't answer my text messages? I did. Yeah, I said, except to answer my text Yeah, messages. I did. Okay, yeah. I, so I, I stayed in bed, and it was... The, it was the worst feeling ever, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To not do anything. I can't do that. The only thing I did I was I figured out how to get rid of, of 10 gigs of music. I didn't need my DJ computer. Like That was the only work I did. You actually should do that for me because I, I cannot do that. That's, you well, can't figure out which one is the kill. You can't figure no, out. No, you got it. You only need everything. one. Don't stop till you get enough. You don't need seventeen. Like I'm literally going through. I always, I'll have to have like all the different edits, not necessarily yeah. like this. No, I'll edit, keep the like individual the edits, edits. But I had like you know, I had like four Jay Z oh like Hard Not Life. Okay, four billion you. of them that I didn't need. So yeah, I mean, cleaning out my hard drives my my favorite uh, pastime. Um, but no, I, I took a four day vacation and I hated every. I didn't hate it, but it was just. You need to be doing things. That's you, yeah. Do you ever sleep so me. much that you get tired yes. of from sleeping? Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I got trapped in that cycle. That's a true thing. And then I was like, oh, this is what depression feels like. So mm. let me get out. <laughs> when, you're, when you're on vacation, you're supposed to go out. Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, there it becomes like it becomes, social isolation. Yeah. Like that's yeah. I can't. I mean, that's why I DJ so much. Like yeah. I don't. I'm not a. Let's go to the bar. Well, you know, I'm a. Or I'll DJ in the bar, and then you know Take that's me going go out shopping. You know that kind of thing. I, I. I mean, I. I now record shop for other people. Like my new shit is now. Wait, taking what the, am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I told you record shopping before. No, no, no. I'm saying. I record shop for you. Well, no, 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 no. I like my thing now is whenever the parents, whenever the kids or the parents. Oh, okay, I got you. Like you know, some eight year old be like, "Yo, on. my kids in the pet yeah. sound." Like, like, yeah. like when you do the, the, then I'll be playlist. like, "Let's go to Amoeba," and then I'll buy them. Right. That's okay. nice. Okay. That's like cool. a thousand records. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I've started at least thirty record collections. Wow. Because I mean, I'm not doing to be all noble. Of course, no, this is the key. No, I'm just addicted to going to a record you shop are, and yes. shopping. Yeah. You and are, yeah. I'm not going to buy, like, a, another Led Zeppelin 3 the record. The Love Scholarship Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> For all musical youth. Look, can we get out of this, guys, please? Yes. Kimber, <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, I, yeah. you take I, I took a four-day yeah. vacation. Yeah. In the future, I'm going to take another seven days off. I'm going to get on a train. And and hobo it. I'm I like, actually want to do that because you keep talking about taking it's a train. My favorite thing on earth. Or just really? taking a train yeah. like cross country. Or whatever. I'm literally. I got a. Well, the best travel is in uh, uh, Canada. So I'm gonna. You should go to New Zealand. Take a train through New Zealand. I initially I was gonna go to India, but okay. I can't. It to, to travel there and then to do the four day trek and then to come back. I I yeah, get it's fired. Like a week and a half. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I would need three three weeks to really recover. Yeah. But mm. yeah, I'm, I plan on. Uh, Going from New York to San Fran, then Vancouver, back to New York. Nice. Vancouver to New York, you can rent your mm. own car, have old timey. Oh wow! You know, and I'll I, make I get to imagine what travel was like in the '40s without being discriminated. <laughs> <laughs> travel like the '40s, minus that whole Jim Crow thing. Why are we trying like <laughs> our best laughs here is like at the expense of racism? Every, <laughs> every time, <laughs> is every racism joke. that hilarious? 
It, it is. In this room, it crying. is. I have to keep from crying. Oh, Don't God. talk, Steve. We covered so much. Yes, we did. Okay. <laughs> okay, so with that said, uh, Kimber, once again, we thank you very much uh, for gracing us with your presence and your music and your artistry and your stories and your journey. Uh, give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Kimberly Johnson. Yes, sir. Kimberly. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying Kimberly. <laughs> oh, it is Kimberly. No, is it Kimberly. I know it's Kimbra. Yeah, it sounded like you were saying well, Kimberly. Were your parents trying to do Kimberly? <laughs> no, they weren't. Okay. I think they were trying to do Kimberly. No, no they weren't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Essence Fest 2018. <laughs> BET. BET no. Awards celebrates black music no. with Kimberly Johnson. No. Voice it's is going point. to be lit. It's going to be lit. This just feels like that moment in This feels like that moment in Zoolander before Wake Me Up Before You Go Go, where he's like, I don't think you thought that I thought you thought that I was referencing. Yes, I know it's Kimbra Lee Johnson. That's more. It's more authentic that way. Not Kimberly. You but I think it. your parents were trying to name you Kimberly and just didn't know that. <laughs> you know, it could have been one name. All right. Well, we like Ki- it too, though. We like it too. It's got <laughs> it's, it's a nice ring to it. Yes. Well, Kimberly Johnson, <laughs> we thank you very much for coming. Thank to the you. Show. Voice Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.